Oh. Oh, we're on the gang's all here. Yeah. I just want to. Hi, Chris. Hi, that's Trace, right? Right, I'm Trace, and this is my brother yeah. Migs. Okay, so my first question is, what were your parents smoking? Trace and Migs. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Good question. I've often wondered. Well, my yeah. My name was, they didn't, they had nine months to think of a name and they didn't. And a friend visited them in the hospital when I was born and they knew somebody named Mix and just suggested it. So it shows how much uh, effort they put into uh, <laughs> naming me. Yeah, well. My, my theory is that they, they, they wanted a, a girl for the second child and oh. I came along and they already thought of the name. So this went, well, we'll just use that, you know, Trace, Tracy is actually. Yeah. Cool. Did you guys grow up in Westport? Yeah. It's beautiful. My brother used to sail out of there all the time. Oh, did he? Oh. Did he live here? He just sailed here at the yacht club? I did uh I did a play at the at uh the, the Westport Country Playhouse? No, at in New Haven at the Long Wharf. Long Wharf, yeah. Yeah. Fell in love with Connecticut. Beautiful state. Yeah. Parts of it, yeah. <laughs> so uh, uh, Migs is going to uh, introduce the show, and then I'm going to introduce you, and then we'll just take it from there. All right. Okay. Westport Library and the Quick Center for the Arts is proud to present Oh Brother, Not Another Podcast, which is an official Apple podcast uh, with me, Migs Burroughs. And I'm Trace Burroughs. And today we have on the show television stage and film actor Chris Rich, who's had many parts in his career. Uh, some of the more um, popular ones was his regular role in Murphy Brown, George Carlin show, Reba, and several other uh, dramatic and comedic series. Hi, Chris. How you doing today? Hey, Trace. I'm doing well. I'm happy to be here with the two brothers. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> so, uh, you know all the different parts you've had. When did did do, do people recognize you on the street, or they did back then? And and when did if they did, when did that all start happening? Well, you know the strange thing is, I was uh, really pretty much just a stage actor in New York City, and I was starting to produce plays. I needed to make some money, and I got offered a job on a soap opera called Another World, and that was uh, back in the eighties when the soaps were very popular and. Um, it just, the celebrity thing just went kind of nuts from there. I mean, soap fans are insane. <laughs> so that started that journey. But, you know, shows like Reba, mostly I don't get recognized for my face. It's mostly my voice that people hear me speak. And, oh, yeah. and they, the guy from Reba or Murphy Brown or Boston Legal is the other one that I get a lot of recognition for. So with, for the soap, when you got recognition for, for being on the soap, do people like you always say these stories that confuse you with like yeah. the character that you played? Yeah, why did you poison Dr. Smith? You know, like, <laughs> yeah, you guys laugh, but I'll tell you that really <laughs> happens. People used to send me audio and video recordings of the show to show me what other characters were doing behind my back. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yes, it's very real for them. It reminds me of you know, the Friends episode when, uh, what's her, oh, I'm, no, I'm blanking, came on the show and she thought Joey was like, oh, you know, actually doctor, uh, the doctor he played. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, it's a very benign example, Shields. but 
it makes you wonder about the mental health of some of the some of the country but um you know. oh i certainly wonder about that yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure yeah i mean that's that's the innocent side of it but so you so uh you did um a film uh in vietnam with uh defoe and um um oh, my mind jesus uh, what was the name of that movie? Uh, Light of the Intruder. Right. Danny Glover. So did you go to Vietnam to shoot that? No, we shot it out of San Diego. And actually, I spent several weeks on board an aircraft carrier, which is not the most fun experience you can have, trust me. Yeah. See, but the Navy was great filming that. I had a blast. You know, it's always fun to play soldiers, play dress up. Did you yeah. go through the, do you have to go through the basic training type of thing? Well, well, they did teach us, you know, they do this thing called codding, which is catapulting a, uh, a turboprop plane, like a cargo plane off an aircraft carrier. And they had to teach me how to do that. That's pretty scary. Sorry. Sorry. Okay. So they made you fly a plane? Uh, no, just ride in the plane. Oh, ride is, in the plane, yeah. Uh, yeah, fly a plane. No, we don't want to lose one of those babies. <laughs> yeah, right. They, uh, yeah. Gee. My sister, okay. You can take it. Actually, Fran Drescher took a call from her mother when we were interviewing her. Fran, oh my God, I had the best Did time you? working with Fran on The Nanny. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there was this episode called The Manny about a male nanny. <laughs> <laughs> assumes is gay and they're spending a lot of time together and then i have to kiss her and she realizes i'm not gay and, and something that people may not know about fran she is one of the best kissers i've ever kissed Whoa. on she is amazing oh, I, I wish we had talked to you first before we got <laughs> brought that up but she had i mean this is you know kind of i don't know if it's called tragic but i mean she was in a marriage kind of a you know what her husband turned came out as gay and, and in a sense had kept it from her for 20 years or something. Yes. I was friends with him as well. Yeah. Um, they were actually a super nice couple and a great power couple in terms of producing stuff. And, you know, they continued to work together. It's, yeah. They're working supposedly on the nanny for Broadway. That's what they told. Oh, that's great. Good for them. Yeah. Yeah. So do you got projects now you're working on? Well, I just finished shooting a film in North Carolina called Deep River about a um, about a uh, a guy, a, a rockabilly kind of artist star who's goes off the deep end and comes back home to North Carolina and things just begin to fall apart for him. And that was pretty interesting for me. But my life for the last four years has been pretty much consumed by the stroke I had Easter morning of 2017. Wow. And so I I've been trying to make my way back. And uh, and the fortunate thing about that film is when John Davenport, the director, called me and said, I want you to do this film. I said, uh, John, you know, I've had a stroke. He said, don't worry, I've covered all that. This character is an old guy who's a drunk. Who's a <laughs> oh, God. So no thing required. That was so diplomatic. I, so okay, how did this? Yeah. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I no, so I obviously took the part and uh, had a great time filming. It's nice to know I could work again. So how did the stroke affect you? You know, it affects people different ways. Yeah, speech or paralysis? Just a little bit of speech, because my left side, it happened on the right side of my brain, and I lost my left side, I had to learn to walk again. I still don't oh my have God. 
time back. Do you ever find out what the cause of, I mean, like, uh, is it just like, you know, something you did that you realized you shouldn't have, like diet or smoking or something? I don't know. Uh, mostly it was like everything. Uh, apparently a clot broke loose in the middle of the night and hit my brain. And oh, yeah, yeah. This is like a night. I mean, yeah. well, this, this is close to home for me because I, I have, I've been diagnosed with a lot of, like a lot of people, atrial fibrillation, you know, AFib. Yeah. And, and you're, you know, supposed to be on blood thinners. And um, anyway, I've heard so many horror stories of people on blood thinners that hit their head even gently and get a brain bleed and end up in the hospital with brain surgery. So I'm kind of caught between, I mean, I'd love to hear your, your I'd love you to convince me or not. <laughs> the doctor hasn't really, I mean, he's trying to convince me, but I'm so afraid of getting a brain. I you know I ride bicycles, I run, I've fallen down, I bump my head. I don't want to get a brain bleed. The biggest drawback is when you take blood thinners, which I've now been on for four years, is every time you bump yourself hard, there's a wicked nasty bruise. Uh -huh. You do have to worry about internal bleeding, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. really bad fall. Mm. Uh, but, um, you know, listen, uh, trust me, Migsy, when I say I know it's Migsy now because we've known each other. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually wondering if you were named after the Russian jet. Yeah. Well, interesting you say that because I got tormented. I grew up during the Cold War and I'm we're of Russian descent, ultimately, Ukrainian, you know, uh, third generation, whatever, second generation. And yeah, so I people thought I was the enemy because they'd say, you know, as a kid, you're naive. And they say, oh, so what's your national? What's everyone's nationality? You know, and oh, I'm Russian. Yeah, right. In the middle of the Cold War, I admit I'm Russian and my name is Mig. So, yeah. <laughs> What are you gonna do? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, but Migs, listen seriously, brother. Mm. You need to take the uh, you need to take the blood thinners because uh, if you have AFib, you really don't want to go through a stroke. I mean, mm. I don't know how old you guys are, but I'm 67, and this happened to me for so I was 63 when it happened to me. Yeah, it, man, it yeah. sucks seriously. Hey, okay. well, thanks. Yeah, I'm 75. You're lucky, you know, I mean, you're married. I saw that video you had on YouTube about your stroke and you have, you're, you're married and you have someone to take care of you in a sense, right? I live uh, alone and so does me. Yeah, we live Like what's going to happen? I'm going to get a stroke and yeah, end up on the floor over here. Yeah, what are, what are the, so you woke up, did it wake you up or how, how did you, what were this, how did you know something had happened? Well, here's the story. So um, here's how I knew my, uh, my wife woke me up, uh, a little bit early Easter morning. And uh, she said, listen, we're going to go for a walk on the beach. And I was slurring my words a little bit. And she said, we had been out drinking with her mother, with my mother-in-law the night before in San Diego. And uh, she said, I think you may still be a little tipsy. Why don't you stay in bed? We'll go for a walk. So they took off and I fell back asleep. And uh, as with men of our age, in a little bit, I felt an desperate need to urinate and so I decided okay well I'm getting up and going to the bathroom and I I struggled to get up when I finally did stand up I just fell face forward onto the floor because I had no left side uh -huh. had no idea how to compensate for that so I laid there for a couple of hours until they came back home and found me and um, oh. and then you know off to uh, off to the hospital in an ambulance my first, well, actually my second ambulance ride, I had a bicycle accident when I was in elementary school that ended up putting me in an ambulance for a concussion. That's probably why I became an actor. 
But that's how you got that. You mean all, all, Brown. all <laughs> actors? All actors have to have brain brain damage. Or <laughs> terrible emotional trauma. Yeah, really. There's a thing I'm curious. Is in in part of our little research, it, it said that you were urged. You know, I wonder. Always wonder how people become actors, or they realize they want to be or need to be. And it said your teacher uh, suggested as a way to channel your rowdy tendencies. What what were your rowdy tendencies? Well, you know, as with you guys, I was. Um, you know, I was in the midst of the Vietnam War, and so um, you know, I was organizing uh, protest walkouts and. Uh, and things like I was, or, I was very anti that war. Mm. And um, so, uh, you know, because I was getting in trouble doing these demonstrations and stuff, they, basically it was a vice principal who said to me, listen, if you have something to say, you need to join the speech club. And, uh, and so I thought, you know, that's not a bad idea. And I started doing speeches on pollution. I won an award mm. for a pollution and also uh, a race one about the language that people use. I won an award for that one too. So I, and then uh, the speech teacher said, hey, would you consider doing a comedy monologue? So I did a, uh, this crazy thing. It's like a Mickey Spillane spinoff about, you know, a tomato with long legs and stuff like that. <laughs> right. it, was, it was a lot of fun and I won with that one too. And so then he said, well, you got to be in the plays with us. And so I started doing plays and I fell in love with it got a journalism scholarship and that was incredibly boring journalism school, but there was a theater department there. And so I drifted over to the theater department because I'll, t I mean, you know, this is, I hope nobody listening takes this the wrong way, but one of the reasons why I was so interested in speech and drama in both high school and college was because a lot of the men involved with it were gay. And um, it was like, for a man like me, it was like shooting fish in a barrel with all those other girls. And uh, really, that, I've always said my prime motivating factor in everything, earning money, doing theater was to get the girl. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, because I was in the scene design department at Carnegie Mellon and, and you know, I was the only straight guy in the department, so. But, Two years. Uh, yeah. But so, uh, great school. Mellon. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, I'm University of Texas and then Cornell. So those were great mm. theater schools, too. How about you, Trace? Where'd you go to college? I I went to School of Visual Arts in Manhattan for one week and dropped out. And it was during the Vietnam War and my parents were so freaked out. I remember sitting in a car, the memories like burned into my brain about, they said, you're just going to go off to, you know, you're going to be inducted into the army now because you're not in college, you know, you can't get an exemption. And I just wanted to be in a rock band and, 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 um, my dad, in a weird way, at the same time, was saying, well, you can put a band together in the army or something. And, and I said something <laughs> like, there's no good musicians in the army, just sort of a blanket, you know, like <laughs> stupid kid thing to say. And my dad says, yes, there is. He got real angry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could be playing John Philip Sousa stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Yeah. yeah. Marching band. Yeah. March your way into the firefight. Um, oh, so, so, uh, of, of, so that you played, you know, with a lot of great other actors, like uh, Rod Steiger is like one of my favorite actors. That and was pretty. What was that like? She's very, very intense. Well, yeah, he is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a movie of the week about the Posse Comitatus. 
and he was playing a racist and uh, he's just, I mean, he would spit on you stuff to get a reaction. Oh, Lucy, this can't be that important. Would, would you say spit on you to get a reaction? Yeah, he, well, not me. He was doing it to some guard when he was in uh, doing shooting a scene with a guard. And the, I remember I remember having I was an associate producer on that as well. And I had to take this guy aside and say, listen, this is part of Rod's process. He, uh, you know, <laughs> he gets going like that. Just roll with it if you can. He said, man, if he spits on me again, I'm going to clock him. <laughs> no, you can't hit Rod. So yeah, I guess he played a. Uh, Guess who's coming to dinner? Wasn't he at like was that the right movie where he played this racist sheriff? What was uh, back then? Oh, that was Either. with Tony Curtis and uh, he. No, which one was that? Um, Chris, do you remember that? What that where he played a, the racist, racist sheriff, sheriff, yeah. sheriff chewing tobacco and yeah, that Sydney later. Sydney Yes, with Sydney Poitier and later, uh, what's his? Uh, what's the actor's name? Oh, in the heat it, of the night. Yeah, that's the heat of the night. And off, yeah, in the heat of the night, right? Yeah. So I'm curious when they say, you know, how I've heard actors describe other actors, you know, no, I've never heard an actor really say anything bad about another actor, like, you know, on a public TV show, but he was so generous as an actor. It, what does that actually mean? And for your, from your experience, what would a generous actor, or do you consider your, you know, how, how would you describe yourself as a generous actor? What does that mean? Well, a generous actor is one who I can tell you who a generous actor isn't. I don't know if you remember yeah. Anthony Zerbe. Who? The actor Anthony Zerbe. Uh, no, the name's vaguely familiar because the Zerbe is a weird name. Recognize his face. Mm. He played Cerno, and I played Christian at the Long Wharf. And oh. He's the most ungenerous actor ever. He, <laughs> would, he would always drift upstage and, uh, you know, sort of block you. To, yeah, yeah. Finally, to the run, I learned to come on stage and just walk to the back of the stage and put my back basically against it if I was going to do the scene. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, he yeah. was one of the crazy competitors. But actors in general, you know, it's a group activity and yeah. depend on each other. So mostly actors are generous if they're worth their salt. Right. But you, but you don't have to, I mean, part of being a good actor is you don't have to like them as a person to, let's say, play best buddies on the stage, right? I mean, you could off stage. Oh. Right? No, you certainly no, you don't. Yeah. Like the guy said, that's acting. Yeah, <laughs> that's what it's all about. So are, have you ever been typecast? And what, what would that character be like? Well, I, mm. <laughs> oh, man, it's so funny you asked that, Trace. Uh, <laughs> I was typecast as sort of the young, blonde male, you know, kind of the Murphy Brown type guy, you know, not too bright kind of like West Coast surfer boy, even though I'm from Texas. But um, typecast, my uh, my agent once called me, he said, you're not gonna believe this breakdown that just came across my desk. He said, they're looking for a Chris Rich type. <laughs> it's kind of a compliment. He said, well, did you submit me? And he said, I called them immediately and they said they can't afford you. Oh, that's oh, that's what a that backhanded compliment. <laughs> he <laughs> said, it's good. Right now, they're looking for a Chris Rich type. He said, but there'll come a time when it'll be they're looking for an older Chris Rich and you'll be perfect. And then he said, you're in trouble when they want a young Chris Rich. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. What do you think of this? Apparently, you know, this political correctness now that the thing is that, you know, only a gay actor can play a gay person. Only, uh, 
transgender can play only this, only that, you know, it's like, well, only a serial killer can play a serial killer. And only as somebody said, only a Danish prince can play Hamlet. I mean, what, where is this going? Is that, is that, do you find that in, in theater now? Well, I'm actually welcoming of that, Megs, because, you know, for so long, those people just weren't allowed to sure. work. And it needs to be opened up again. But I mean, you know, it, it, it'll be temporary, this adjustment. And then, sure. you know, then, you know, we'll have, we'll have transgender Romeo and Juliet's and it'll be wonderful, but it'll, you know, eventually this will all just go back to uh, whoever can play the part. Exactly. I mean, a transgender person should be able to play a, a straight person or whatever they, whatever they're up for, or Hamlet or whatever they can do. I mean, anybody well, should be able, right? Should have a probably wider range than most actors in general because of their experience in life. You're so, right. yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. So what would what would be a role that you auditioned for that you really wanted the most you know, and you know, and you didn't get it like the one you that you remember throughout? Well, the one the that years. really got away was uh, this is going back sometime, but I had a meeting to play uh, Luke Skywalker. In <laughs> and nothing against Mark, but I would have been much better. Yeah, no, I'm sure. No, that's, wow. Yeah, all, I love those stories. The or the ones that the actors say, "Why well, turn?" I wasn't interested in that. It didn't sound like a goofy thing, and then it turns out to be, you know, Batman or you know, again, Titanic. Right. Um, uh, I, I actually, I, I didn't study. I studied scene design, but I took one year of acting at Carnegie. But uh, I had one interview for a movie uh, to play this guy named Benjamin. It was in The Graduate. Uh, obviously, uh, there's some doofus named Dustin got the part. <laughs> Too short to play that part. Yeah. <laughs> wow. But that's as close as I. It was just an interview. It wasn't even an audition. But I, they, I was in Pittsburgh, and they actually asked me to come to New York for the interview with the casting, the producer. I have a letter from the producer, the the the, the dear dear John letter from the producer saying sorry. Oh, that's a good one to keep. Yeah, it was. I had one movie part. I was I dabbled in acting for you know like a few months or something, and and I played a, a pedophile ventriloquist <laughs> in, in a in a you ever hear of trauma films? Are really horrible, horrible, low budget uh, sort of horror comedy type. Yeah. Films. Anyhow, <laughs> enough on that. So oh when my, you, that's not one I'd admit to, Trace. Looks <laughs> good <laughs> on your resume. Yeah. And George Carlin, what um, was he, you know, there, there's I always wonder about people that are so creative and, you know, in, in this kind of, it seems spontaneous, but was he, was he a, like an introvert, uh, you know, kind of, per, was he easy to work with, I guess is the main question. Was he was quite shy, but he was yeah. lovely to work with. We used to have so much fun doing intros. We would stand backstage, you know, and then you come out one by one in front of the audience and, we had a great group of actors on that show, including Alex Rocco. We were very close friends, Alex and I. And George was just lovely. I mean, he was so sweet and generous. He used to, uh, we used to like try and make each other laugh before we would go out to see if we'd get one of us to like snort as we're going out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, um, you know, he would say, okay, what's the worst name for like a child daycare center? And I would 
something absolutely obscene. He goes, no, no, no. It's got to be more delicate, like yeah. sticky kids. <laughs> oh, God. But uh, uh, he used to have a part of his act. I'll share this with you. I think it's okay uh, to share this. But yeah. a part of his act is when he would talk about all the euphemisms for male masturbation. You know, he would go like, like beating Johnny behind the ear. And, <laughs> and uh, I said, George, I have one for you. I said, you're going to like this. And it was right before he went out. He said, this is better be good. You're messing with my act. And I said, okay, what about shaking hands with the unemployed? <laughs> That's great. He, he, that one. That he kind of great. over a little, he was laughing and he farted and walked out. He was also, he was also a big fan of Lepetamine. I don't know if you know who that, Lepetamine was a French. Uh, oh, the farting! Oh, he was yeah. the farter. Yeah, right. Our dad yeah. was a big fan. Oh my! The, yeah, our father yeah. always talked about him. Yeah, yeah. he was a big so, thing in France, right? He would. George loved him. He oh. is the guy that would go on stage. People. He was the most famous person in Paris. They'd come to his theater, and he he'd fart noises or yeah. talk through his butt. Songs. He could, you know, he could actually play a tune. Wow. It's well, good to have boys it's good to have that in your back pocket so to speak <laughs> you know, as a, as yeah. things get bad <laughs> roles aren't coming in you can play do you, um, do you teach i'm curious do you teach acting at all i taught at uh i taught for a year at cornell i loved it i do uh i do go in as a uh as a director and uh sometimes teach uh you know take uh acting classes through uh what it's like to audition or uh you know, I mean, that's really my that's really my specialty in teaching is what to having been on both sides of that table frequently is, you know, what the expectations are and how you can do this and maybe be successful at it. And how about how to audition? I mean, you must if you had any frightening. I mean, I, I, the other story you hear commonly is that the actor thinks they just totally failed and they're depressed and they go and drink and they get a call saying you got the part. I mean, how do you. How does an actor gauge uh, an audition, uh, you know, how to behave in an audition? Oh, man, you know, I, I you try and read the room. Honestly, you try and read the room. But the biggest key to auditioning is recognizing that on the other side of the table, when you're walking in the room, these people are desperate for somebody to fill this job. And they're really hoping that you will be great. And they're willing to forgive almost anything if you can get close to it. So you know, I go in with the attitude of, all right, everybody, you know, calm down. You're probably <laughs> solved. I'm here. Oh, that's good. Sort of a sales in a way. It's a pitch, you know, right? It is a pitch. Yeah. Yeah. I sell um, fresh meat. Well, not so fresh anymore, but, um, you know. I heard an Alec Baldwin interview once where they asked him about making, what's it like, uh, you know, making movies. And he says, it's like being in a boat and you, you think you're going to Bali, but you end up in New Jersey, like a bad experience in filming where there's a lot of promise about maybe the director's great and this and that, and you think it's going to be a real hit, but it's not like they described it to you. It's, has that, that ever happened to you? Well, it's actually mostly happened to me on the other side where like nobody wanted me to do the Reba show. My agents are, everybody was saying, listen, this is just a toss off for the, for the network and the studio. This is not going to go anywhere. And uh, they already have another actor that they want for this part. And uh, so turn around, don't go to this meeting and uh, my car. And I said, boys, I don't care if they have another actor. If, if you get me in the room, let's see what happens. 
Oh, cool. And that was when I'm just trying to get the pilot money. I mean, that's what pilot season was. I was usually doing two pilots a year, which would pay for my year. Really? Oh, nice. Yeah. But then that one hit, had a blast doing it. And, you know, the rest is history. And now we're talking about maybe bringing it back. Uh-huh. I'm kidding. Oh, the Reba McIntyre show? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. It's so popular in reruns. It's ridiculous. That's what most people recognize me for now. What, what was the, what, you were in a series called Charmers, right? The Charmings. Charmings. What was that about? That was about, that was, here's the premise. Uh, Prince Charming and Snow White and the Wicked Witch and the Mirror, you know, they're all living in fairy tale land. And the witch creates a bad spell and it throws her, the Mirror, Prince Charming and Snow White, two of their kids and one dwarf forward to Van Nuys in the 1980s. Oh my God. (laughs) That's a good premise. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Now they have to figure out how to survive. Fish out of water, right? Yeah. It was crazy fun. But you want to know tested for that one? Uh, So I walk in and the other actors are, there are only two other actors testing. One is Rex Smith. Do you remember Rex Smith? Sexy Rexy? Yes, yes. Yeah, he did a lot of in the park stuff in New York and had a couple of albums. And the other was George Clooney. George Clooney. (laughs) So the three are going to be Prince Charming. Somebody's going to be Prince Charming. I'm like, I'm like, well, you know, it's going to be me. And George, George is so damn funny. He's like, boys, this one is like, this is a throwaway. Mm. You know, just go in and do whatever you do. But I got this. Um, anyway, but I had a great time testing for it. And, you know, got to do the show with uh, Judy Parfit, who is a wonderful English actress, phenomenal, playing the witch. And uh, Paul Winfield played the mirror. Absolutely hilarious. We became good friends. You ever have a problem? Like, I'm I sing, and I I have a fear of not remembering lyrics that I've done a thousand times, even though you know it's just a small you know club or something. Do you ever uh, get like uh, your mind just goes blank while you're in the middle of a production, whether it's on stage or or I guess or even television or film? Oh, it's happened to me many times, Trace. You know, I think it happens to every actor. Um, I used to have this recurring dream of walking out. You know, frequently people have that dream of being naked on stage. I would have a dream of walking out on stage and somebody says a line to me and I have no idea what I'm supposed to say. I don't even know what play I'm in. Oh, It was just nauseating. But that was, yeah, you look at your show. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a cringe. No idea. And there's the audience and people are looking at you and talking to you until it bothered me for years until one time in the dream, I just started speaking, you know, and it didn't matter what I said. It flowed right into the next oh. thing. And I found that actually is kind of true in, in all theater. So if you forget and you're uh, while you're on stage, you just you know what the premise is, unless you blank out on that, too. And, you know, what the premise is and you just fill in what you think you should. And the other actors realize what's happening to you. Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, yes. You know, and I mean, there are legendary stories about that with people. Those have happened to me where people or sets have fallen over in the middle of a production or God. things just go so wrong that you really can't save it. I have turned to an audience before and said, ladies and gentlemen, if you will excuse us for just one moment, we need to fix this and then we'll pick up where oh. we left. 
and got applause for it. You know, go figure. Well, that's a brave being one. honest I, or being yeah. or being nice. Yeah. <laughs> being, you know, that moment, you know. Yeah. So, well, we're almost out of time. I just just curious about uh, Candace Bergen and working with her. She seems like the she seems very authentic and and appealing and personable. And maybe that's because she's a good actress <laughs> or any of those qualities. You know, you think those are real qualities? Well, Migsy, I'll tell you, I still have a crush on her. Oh, good. Me too. That's good to hear. <laughs> fun working together i mean she's a rascal she would do i remember once on murphy brown um i had to do this uh exit in one spot and then run around the set and enter at another spot you know i had to do it rather rapidly and she started doing things like placing chairs in the <laughs> i had all these obstacles on the night the first night we were taping she got the prop department to build a wall of empty brown boxes that uh -huh. I had to, but I mean, she's like, she's wicked like that. I just love her to pieces. And then, you know, I got to work with her again on Boston Legal and just a dream. I really, really adore her. You know, she had a stroke and- uh, Oh, really? After I had my stroke, I got a message on my phone saying, Chris, it's Candace. It's gonna take a while to recover. And I know you, you're a little shit and you're always impatient. You have to be patient <laughs> for a change. But I mean, I just love her. How can uh, you not? Fortunate to work with some really incredible women: Reba, Candace, Franny. I mean, just some great, great, lovely actresses. Well, that's good to hear. I mean, it's nice to hear this this positive because sometimes people are portrayed as being not so nice, you know, backstabbing and all that. Nice. I mean, they really are special women. Yeah. All right. So, well, thanks for coming on. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Thanks, Chris. Well, terrific. boys, I really enjoy talking to you. Call me anytime. And if you want me to reach out to somebody for yeah. you, just let me know. And well, we'll <laughs> think work. about who you could reach out for and send us an email. Yeah, that'd to, be uh, nice. I mean, to, we... to Val, I guess. You know, Val's been talking with you. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you have people that you think would come on our show, uh, connect with Val, right? Yeah. Okay. We, had a good, we had a great time with you and, and, Fran, I guess, are the biggest celebrities so far and uh, found them more so, you know, as you friendly and delightful. And, you know, I have to say maybe to our surprise, but it's great that, that you know, to find that out. So, well, you see my hat, Meg? This is oh, yeah, cancer, name. not uh, white bug kids cancer. Yeah, is, I joined their board. So this is what I'm determined to. Oh, is there a website that people can go to? Knockout Kids Cancer. So let's plug that. Actually, wipe out, wipe, wipe out kids cancer, yeah. right? Yes, wipe out kids cancer. Yes. Okay. Just wanted to say, Trace, you were absolutely right. But uh, when uh, Val told me that when I was going to be doing this, that Miggs was the smart one, and I'm like going, "Wait a minute." What? What? <laughs> what Val said that. What? <laughs> I've never even talked to Val. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm just trying to start trouble. Yeah, thank uh, you. Uh, yeah. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Now I know what. Candace Birkin was. <laughs> yeah, right. I got too, so I know how this shit works. That's yeah, funny. Yeah, that is going there. That was good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's a good okay. one. Okay. <laughs> Thanks so much. Good time with you. Really well. Yeah. Take Thank care. You. Yep.